you hear a lot about PLG. And PLG mostly works for developers. So if you think about the persona of developers, they want to test and try things all the time. Cybersecurity is completely different, right? The risk of them implementing something without doing the due diligence is huge. I mean, it can cost, of course, their own job, but it can also hurt the company and, and people and all of that. That's Ronan Shuttleboim, the VP of Marketing at Tessian. While the SaaS world seems to have gone all in on the product-led growth strategy, Ronan knows that there is no one-size-fits-all strategy for his company. Instead, he's taken his prospects' behaviors into account and developed a strategy that works best for them. They don't buy by um, necessarily swiping the credit card or, or doing a free trial. They buy by referrals, by community. They heard about your tool from someone else. Our insight from that is like, let's focus on field marketing. By creating meaningful connections with customers through one-to-one -one interactions, rather than aiming to acquire new customers quickly through product marketing initiatives, Ronan's unique approach has enabled him to build a strong and lasting relationship with his customers. He's bucked the product-led growth trend entirely. In this episode, Ronan walks us through his process and details the tools he's using along the way. He'll cover how he's leveraging word-of-mouth buzz and repurposing content from events in order to maximize his efforts and stand out from his competitors. My name is Dan McGaw. I'm the CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaw.io. Each week, I get to speak to executives to find out their strategies and tactics that they're using to drive revenue. Now let's get to Ronan, but make sure you hit that subscribe button. My name is Ronan Chettelboim. I'm the VP of Marketing uh, at Tessian, currently based in LA, originally from Israel. Spent the last 12 years in the Bay Area working for uh, B2B uh, tech SaaS companies. I love it. Now, help me understand, what does Tessian do? Like, how would you explain this from your side? Tessian is a cybersecurity software company in the email, email security space. Our mission is to secure the human layer, uh, secure people. Uh, we basically want to make sure that we allow people to do their best work without thinking about security. Now, you know, if you're a marketer or a CEO, ops person, you want to be able to complete your task with, without thinking, oh my God, did I forget to approve um, anything from, from a security perspective? Why did we choose to... To protect people or protect the human layer is because stats show that between 85% to 90% of the breaches today happens due to a human error. Not through like a sophisticated code or anything like that. And specifically, we decided to focus on email because about 90% um, of the breaches starts with email. Um, and it's just about, you probably heard in the media about social engineering and how um, threat actors manipulate people to get access to the data. So this is where we exist. Well, I think this is it's interesting because this is something that I talk about a lot with marketing technology companies and teams is like the people who have the most access to customer data at a company is the marketing team. They usually have the access to the most amount of passwords in the company. But the marketing team is typically the least sophisticated when it comes down to phishing. They'll fall for a phishing email or for a text message to say, hey, buy me gift cards. Right, And it sounds like that's kind of the problem that your team solves. And I'm not trying to pick on marketers here, because I know it happens to everybody in the company. But it sounds like that's the problem you really solve for. This is exactly why we exist. And the way we solve it is basically we have a machine learning algorithm that study the relationship between emails that leaving the organization, emails that coming to the organization, and the relationship between the, the people that send the emails. And when it identifies irregularities, it flags that to the user. Not only it flags to the user, it explains to you what the issue is. 
for example, it will say, hey, don't click on this because you never receive an email from this person. Are you sure you want to do that? This is what we found. So there is also an element of education on demand uh, when these things happen. Uh, so it's not only that we're trying to prevent phishing, we're also trying to educate users uh, and making them better. What are your main goals? What are your main metrics at Tessian? So the main North Star goal for my team is pipeline. Uh, so not leads, not MQLs, pipeline. Um, we measure everything in a scorecard and every department within my team has input metrics that lead to pipeline. So for example, the dimension team or the lifecycle team has clear pipeline targets, but the Marcom or brand or social has metrics that we measure that we believe going to contribute to pipeline in the future, um, like share of voice, volume of brand searches, engagement, and things like that. Now, I'm interested to talk just a little bit about this scorecard thing. You know, I've heard this a few times from other companies. Internally, we have scorecards for our team members. We, we have observable indicators, and we call those OIs, and they're on their scorecards. I'm curious, like, what are your scorecards built in? Are you doing anything fancy and fun here? So we build the scorecard on Google Sheets, so not fancy. I love the, so I tried Asana and I tried different project management tools to kind of run some of those analytics meetings or scorecard meetings. And I just find Google Sheets easy. People can collaborate and comment and can, can track. Something that's really important for me is that we all understand the metrics as well. One metric that I, I kind of talk with my team a lot about is um, pipeline on investment. And I can happy to expand if you want on, on that metric. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's talk about this pipeline on investment. I'm, I'm intrigued. Okay, so, you know, we call it POI, pipeline on investment, similar to ROI. But the idea is we don't want to be dependent on sales um, close rate ratio. So I take the total pipeline that was created by a specific channel and I divide that by the spend on that channel. So if the close rate is 4x, 4x will bring, make me break even. But if I do 8 to 12x, it's a healthy ratio in case, let's say, sales don't close at 4x. Let's say they close at 6x. Um, or let's say there are more people that spend time and there is people's salary. 8 to 12x is a safe ratio um, to show that the program is ex actually working. What are some of the big initiatives that you're running to really generate pipeline? So we are running, you know, all the traditional channels. I think uh, in our industry, which is the cybersecurity industry, we find that field marketing uh, generate the most pipeline. Um, and I was thinking a lot about it, and it makes total sense. So you hear a lot about PLG, and PLG mostly works for developers. So if you think about the persona of developers, they want to test and try things all the time. Just give them a new tool. Cybersecurity is completely different, right? They um, the risk of them implementing something without doing the due diligence is huge. I mean, it can cost, of course, their own job, but it can also hurt the company and, and people and all of that. Because of that, the way they buy is completely different. They don't buy by um, necessarily swiping the credit card or, or doing a free trial. They buy by referrals, by community. They heard about your tool from someone else. So that's why we, we kind of, our insight from that is like, let's focus on field marketing. And we don't look at field marketing as, okay, let's just do a bunch of events and, and have fun. We look at it as creating a community. And the way we do that is, one, we are trying to incorporate our customers in the journey and bring them to events with us. And number two, we came up with this um, virtual summit, which looks like a TV show. So high production, you know, we send, you know, the, the speakers and the lights and the cameras. We have a production company. And uh, we record a few hours with, with our customers and thought leaders in the space. 
We do this almost every quarter with really minimum budget. And we started two years ago, we had like 50 people um, registered. And today we have about 2,000 people coming to our events. That's like one of our most successful channels. Before we dig into Ronan's marketing strategy, I want to stop and make sure you understand something that's really important about PLG. Product-led growth is a hot strategy right now, but too many people are getting caught up in the hype. Companies are making the switch and going all in on PLG because it's the big thing to do right now. But their product is too complex for someone to really know what is going on without proper walkthroughs or help. Don't get me wrong, PLG is a great way to get people interested in your company. By leading with the product, public pricing, and an amazing in-app experience, the first interaction they're getting is likely a positive one. That association to positivity as opposed to dry and boring sales demos from SDRs or sales is a lot better, but your strategy can't end there. For an example, at my SaaS company, UTM.io, we have a product-led growth motion which serves as a way to get people into our freemium product. We have a wonderful in-app experience that onboards you into our complex product, and we try to make it as product-led and friendly as possible. But once you hit these enterprise features that we have that are very complex, it's completely sales-led. This makes it so that we're product-led, but also conscious that when you need your handheld, we're there to hold your hand. This is more of a hybrid strategy, which you could call product-led as product is leading. But as I said before, your product cannot do all the work and you need to think through all of these steps. Okay, that's enough on PLG. It's time to head back to the conversation with Ronan and go through his field marketing strategy step-by-step. You talk about field marketing and you talk about word of mouth, you know, I guess like, and it sounds like you're not doing actual in-person events nearly as much. You're doing this, this virtual event. So we are doing um, third party in person and, and like a small dinners and things like that. But yeah, the virtual summit is the one that brings us the most of the pipeline. Interesting. And then with this virtual summit that you're doing, I mean, like what's the stack behind all that? How are you running that? Uh, so we have an external production company and we, we build in everything to work on our, on our website. So we have a dedicated, like a microsite built on our website and we live stream everything with the production company to the website. And then behind the scene, you know, we use Drift, like the simple stuff like HubSpot for promotion, Salesforce. Uh, we're doing a lot of ads, especially on like social and um, a lot of word of mouth trying to like actually empower our salespeople, our security team to go and talk about the event with their own circles. And um, that helps a lot. How are you getting people into this virtual summit? Like, what is the way that you're creating the demand and the buzz? You started with 50, but now you have 2,000. So like, how are you really driving that demand? And it's over the course of two years, right? Like, I think something to remind people is that because, you know, B2B SaaS Bay Area is like fast, fast. We need to invest now and we need to see results tomorrow. So it took us two years to get to it. We are doing all the stuff that you, you, you think we would do. So thinking about ads, thinking about emails, thinking about cross-promotion and amplification. Actually, maybe this is something that people don't think about, the, the importance of amplification. So you have this event out there, you created the content, you spend the time with the speakers, you have high quality production. People think, okay, I'm done. No, but actually now, now it's the time to party, right? You need to amplify this like crazy so it gets to the right people. We do that by mentioning that in the newsletter. If we go to other events, we send thank you package, including that. And really like we have a whole plan to promote the summit through an existing programs that we have. 
And we also have competition between the sales team and internally to make sure that they have UTM codes to drive people. And the person with the highest kind of registration get prizes from the marketing team. Um, so it's a big party. How do you amplify the content before the show to really get people involved or interested in the show itself? My dream um, is to hire some sort of um, marketers that in charge of distribution of content or amplification of the content, because I think it's an entire world. Now, there's a difference between, you know, my dream and, you know, headcount that I necessarily can get approved. I'm still building on my cases. But now in the lifecycle and the dimension team, we know at the beginning of the year or the beginning of the quarter, what are the, we call it the big rocks. What is the big thing that we're going to do? And the content team manufacturing the content, but the dimension team or the lifecycle team thinks about, okay, how can we slice and dice it to, we call it turkey slices. That means we have an event, we have a deck, we have a blog post, we have a podcast. And then they build a deck with a Google Sheet roadmap plan on like where it needs to be distributed. So what is be done on social? What and, and we do it pre-event and post-event or you know pre-research lunch and post-research lunch. And the more we do it, we get better at it. But the more you do it, you feel like, oh my God, there's so much more we can do if we had person just dedicated to that. And I know you know that, but I think one of the, the pet peeves or, or one of the things that there are missed opportunities, people create fantastic content today. They amplify for a week and then, okay, next to the next one. Wait, but you created such a good, you have three hours of content. Why don't you like use it for the next six months? So we're trying to do that. We're not doing this perfectly. We're still working on it, but I think there is a lot of opportunity there. Oh, how, how are you trying to repurpose that content? Is there like a person who owns this or using tools to be able to help you do that? It's a project management system, meaning like there are people that are in charge of different aspects and they have their own tools that support that. So on social media, we use Proud Social. Um, on the marketing automation, we use HubSpot. You know, on the digital ads, we, we use all the ads platforms that you can think about that B2P is using, you know, blog posts. We also try to work with like either our customers or influencers in the, in the space, especially if they were involved in the creation of the asset to distribute on their network. So Sprout Social is doing the social management and things like that, HubSpot, advertising, things like that. Yeah. So you're distributing this content and then is the intent to distribute this content with mostly getting people into that virtual summit or do you distribute that content and then get them into a myriad of different places or is the virtual summit like the real big thing that you're constantly pushing people into? So we're trying to build the, the community, you know, as, as I mentioned, the importance of building a community in the cybersecurity space. So we're trying to get them to our database, right? Opt in. And from there, choose their journey. So some people are going to end up um, asking a demo or watching a product tour or maybe like looking at our research. And some people just end up being with the content. One of the reasons we didn't really talk about it, but why would you create high quality content? Like why would you send, you know, the lighting and the speaker and all of that? It's because, first of all, there's so much content out there and, and the attention span of people is really, really short. And also the concept of privacy. I think in a few years, you won't be able to use third-party cookies. I mean, maybe next year, right? Like you won't be able to use third-party cookies and, and all of that. And marketers need to think about that and they need to see what's the journey to get opt-in. And by producing high-quality events, high-quality content, high-quality programs and keep improving, you have a better chance to bring people in, build your database, build your community and convert people down the line. How are you tracking, so you talked about trying to get the sales team, you have UTM codes. I mean, how are you tracking the effectiveness of those UTM codes? 
So I use a tool called Full Circle Insights, which is a competitor of Bizable. What I was able to do with it, I was able to push UTMs to the campaign member level in Salesforce. So it's never get overwritten. Like one of the big headaches that happened to me in the past and colleagues of mine is just the UTMs get overwritten. And like you see like a bunch of things you don't know exactly to tell the story. Now, because it never gets overwritten, you can take it a six month, you can look at a six month span and see exactly all the different touch points uh, with the UTMs. So we solve that from a UTM perspective. The challenge is how do you track word of mouth? I mean, that's the core of our business. And I think there are ways, it's not perfect that you can do that. So um, Gong, Gong Calls, I think it's, it's, it's a great tool to understand where people are coming from and enable your SDRs and AEs ask the question, like, how did you hear about us? Where are people coming from? Adding a field on the form, uh, it's another one. Reading reviews is another one. So you, you have to add things into the UTM. You cannot just trust the UTM, but that's how we do it. Well, I guess like in a lot of cases, there's real no way to track word of mouth or even like dark social, right? So I guess like, how are you using UTMs and then all these reviews or qualitative things to kind of triangulate on this? For us, UTM is the core to track word of mouth on the campaign member. For people who wants to geek a little bit on Salesforce on the campaign member level, uh, because it's never get overwritten. But in order to do like, um, we do quarterly planning and, and quarterly like lesson learns. Then we, we sit with the sales team, we listen to the going calls. So my team, every one of them has in a calendar, an hour book to listen to going calls every week. On the form tracking, how did you hear about us? We ask that for everything. Even like conversation with customers, right? Like we, I'm, I'm trying to do this at least once a month and, and just like ask like, hey, originally, how did you hear about Tessian? Do you listen to our podcast? How did you get here? And you just collect this feedback over time and then you, you, you should have a pretty good picture of how people hear about you and get to you. Now you had mentioned that full circle insights. So is it providing you multi-touch attribution or is it just providing like first, last touch? Everything actually. So they have multiple modules and you can configure them. At the very basic, you can use it to slice and dice the funnel by the three touches that you mentioned. So source, primary, first, and last. And then they have the module for attribution. They recommend you how to configure it, but you can configure it yourself as well. For the basic level, because people are like, oh my God, attribution, it's complicated. You can do um, like a peanut butter spread and give an equal weight for all the touches over the course. Depends on your sales cycle, let's say last six months or 12 months. And that should give you a pretty decent view of what people did. So somebody comes to this virtual summit, right? They're this live event. Now, how does your team convert somebody from a virtual summit into actually being a customer? like Or getting them to become pipeline for the sales team? So... Cybersecurity, selling to security team is complicated from a marketing perspective. So you need a lot of different touches. So at the very least, we are trying to tell a consistent story and create value after the summit. So we will follow up with you know the videos and recording and relevant sessions based on questions that people ask. We educate the SDRs and the AEs to follow up. And attention to details here is super important. Like people get annoyed if the experience doesn't match their expectations. So we're trying not to say like, thank you for attending the summit. You want to you wanna become a customer? Versus like, hey, we've noticed that you attended this session. Do you have questions about this topic? Even if you don't have, here is a blog post and an article about that and you can learn more about this. Really hard to do. That's what we're trying to do. And we believe that um, creating the best experience is what can win over the customers. 
How do you connect the guest from their session and then be able to email them about that? I, I know you said you're working with a production company, but at the same time, like how are you connecting those dots? Are you what is the technology you're using for the actual virtual summit that gives you that data? So there is no fancy technology. We 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 look at uh, the the questions that people ask in specific sessions. We see with the production companies. So we have the production company broadcasting on our website. LinkedIn Live and YouTube. And we have people manning all of these channels. And let's say the event is three hours. We have people in each channel and they see, okay, Mike was in this session asking these questions, putting it in the notes uh, on Google Sheets. Um, The other person was commenting on something. And we're just trying to identify the percentage of people that uh, engage in different sessions and try to follow up accordingly. Uh, We do that the same thing for in-person events or, or virtual events. So for the audience, maybe they expected to hear some fancy technology, but no fancy technology behind this. Very, very manual. So you have these people doing the manual interaction, but I guess like they're putting that into what product, which is then sending the email, or is, you, is it still all manual there? So we use all the like automation tools. So we have uh, SalesLoft now. We used Outreach in the past. So basically things go to HubSpot. From HubSpot, they go to Salesforce. From there, they go to SalesLoft. Everything is tagged with full circle. We have a good process there. But I think um, it, it is scary where the world is going to because as a manager or as a business leader or you know if you have your own business, sometimes you know that certain things need to get done, right? And we cannot like blindfully go to the technology to solve for us everything. There needs to be a good balance between, okay, like what are the guiding principles for taking these tasks and do it manually because it needs to get done versus like, okay, I'm just going to put this in the system and I think it's going to work. And and if not, it's okay because I'm not going to look at it until tomorrow. I think defining that balance is really important. Ronan just made an excellent point about the proper use of automation tools. We live in the world where automation is seen as efficient and effective, and it's the way you should do everything. But it's not really always the case. Automation should be used after you have a solid process in place. In many cases, you should build and do the process manually until you have a sound process. This, of course, is in place if the task doesn't take too long to complete. We're in this age where often we see tech as superior to human effort, which can lead us into bringing in tools where they aren't really needed. Hell, I've seen people on my team spend five hours coding something to build out an automation for a task that only takes a few minutes once a week, a complete waste of energy. Not only is this a huge waste of time and resources, but it also created unnecessary layers of complexity in our tech stack so nobody else could ever really help. It's important to stop and build a process before reaching for automation. Even if you're tempted by the latest tools and tech trends, sometimes it's better just to do it manually. Ask yourself, is the time I'm saving worth what I'm investing in for this automation? And is there value being added beyond simply automating the task? The best use cases for automation are those which really streamline the processes, add value for greater efficiency, or offer some sort of other intangible benefit like improved customer experience. If your automation project doesn't fit these criteria, then a manual task may just be the better option. When done right, automation can save you time, money, and also create better opportunities for growth. But it must be done thoughtfully and strategically. Okay, I digress here. Let's get back to Ronan. We have an interesting VIP idea to to package for existing customers. 
And we just purchased a tool called User Gems, which I have high hopes for. That makes total sense in terms of vision in our industry. Have you heard about it? Yeah, I keep hearing it all the time. Like it keeps coming up in the podcast. I have a client who's using it. I've not dug into it yet, but I'd love to hear from you. Like, what do you hear about it? So all this concept of referral and word of mouth, if you think about CISOs or chief information security leaders, similar to CMOs, actually, they stay in a companies less than two years and they change, right? It's just like a high demanding job. If you don't show results and, and all of that, you, you need to change. And many times what's happened is your customer love you, but your power user leave because they change companies for whatever reason. And then, so how do you get to them? And what UserGem is supposed to do is basically, I think it tags all the existing customers and when they change jobs and they have workflows that you can trigger automated emails to those people to make sure that you know they're still part of the community, although they're not customers, and try to see if they want to entertain using the same product that they used before. Now, it sounds something like maybe people try to do manually. I've tried to do it multiple times with scraping LinkedIn and getting LinkedIn alerts and add that to the marketing automation system. But it never worked perfectly. And I think uh, UserGem is on to something. So yeah, we shall see. I love it. I'm looking forward to hearing the status update. You know, there used to be this company, and I don't know if they're still around, they were called CMOs on the Move. And this is how we used to track when like a CMO started at a new company or when they moved somewhere else. Uh, to be able to get them like, hey, whenever there's a new CMO, naturally, they're they're going to shake up the house, right? So like, it's a perfect time to come in with a new service offering to help them. So I'm intrigued to see how user gems work. So definitely sounds like a new tool. Any other cool new tools that like you you might be adding to the stack or testing out? Yeah. So one more thing on the user gem that I think you might find interesting is you know this concept of um, getting approval of budget to buy a tech stack. So we we had this idea to to follow customers that change jobs, but we didn't have the budget approved to get the tool. So what we did is the team came up with it. We looked at all the customers in our database that their email bounced back. So we, we used to send them an email, but it bounced back. And it's like, okay, what does it mean? It means that they probably changed jobs. And we manually exported that list. We found their new email addresses and we did an email campaign and we start seeing interaction saying like, congrats, you are now in a new job. So we showed the ROI from that. And then we got approval to explore user jam, which I think is a, in startups, often you, you, you just need to show, build something, show the results and then get the budget approved to go and buy it. For people listening to the show and stuff like that, I guess like you've been involved with the stack, you you ran Salesforce. I mean, what would be the advice you would give to somebody who is building their stack right now? Obviously, like it depends, right? Uh, it depends on budget and the, the situation. And it depends, like, are you like a junior leader or senior leader? I would say like there are tools that you cannot operate without, like some must tools. Like I think if you don't have marketing automation today, I think you it's probably really, really hard to execute. And then there are other tools that, I would encourage people to run tests and experiment and see if they can quickly show the ROI before they go and purchase the tool. I think on B2B sales-led, it takes a lot of time to show ROI. And sometimes leaders don't even have the opportunity to show the ROI because if your sales cycle is 9 to 12 months, you are one year in, you implemented a new tool, you change jobs after another year and a half, you just don't have time. So I think tools can be your competitive advantage it's like if you think about your stock portfolio, maybe you have one stock that outperforms all the competitions, but you should not, it's not a strategy. It's just like a way to get there and you really need to understand the architecture and get buying from the different leaders 
before you go and buy new, new stuff. Yeah, I definitely need to have your objectives and strategy figured out first. The tools are just an enabler. They are not the strategy. They are just the thing that helps make your strategy come to life. Thanks so much for being able to join me today. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate making the time. Yeah, of course. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. What a cool journey to learn about. Let's recap this episode. First, Ronan found that product-led growth strategies were not going to work for Tessian. Instead, he's developed a comprehensive field marketing strategy coupled with a content producing and content repurposing engine. This is a clear example of why doing your homework and not falling into the trap of what's trendy is very, very important. Let me say, there's nothing inherently wrong with a product-led growth strategy. However, you must take the time to consider what strategies will actually help you achieve your goals. Second, Ronan discussed content repurposing and amplification and how it's an important part of his field marketing strategy. Creating great content is really time-consuming, especially when you have to do it consistently. I absolutely love the idea of repurposing content. Word of mouth plays a major role in driving demand for most of the field marketing events that Ronan's team is organizing, so creating content that resonates with their target audience is key in order to amplify their message, especially across multiple channels. When done right, you can tell a consistent story across multiple touch points with a lot less effort than creating something new every single time. You don't need anything fancy to start planning. Ronan's team uses my favorite tool to roadmap their content plan, Google Sheets. If you're not using it, I don't know what else you're doing. This goes well with my third point. There's nothing wrong with a simple stack and a little manual labor. Ronan's team has realized that despite automation and tools being an invaluable part of the process, there can be no substitute for getting your hands dirty. Empowering their marketing and sales teams to explore connections while asking questions face-to-face puts them ahead of the competition. Not everything can or should be solved with automation and tools. Manual work is an important part of their process. So don't just add tools for the sake of it. Make sure you're being intentional. And when you bring them into your workflow, make sure you have a well-thought-out plan. That's going to be all for today. Thanks for listening and make sure that you've given us a sub. And if you have some time, we'd appreciate a review and a rating too. I'll see you next week.